Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Friday for the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall-Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. Well, this morning we're joined by a couple of lawmakers from Tulsa who also happen to be former OEA members. Um, Representative Melissa Provenzano, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Yes. And uh, Representative John Waldron, how are you? Doing fine. How are you today? Good, good, good. good. Well, we wanted to talk with you um, too specifically about um, some information that you had put out this week, identifying seven needs to restart um, restart school. So, can you kind of give us a little bit of background about why you two decided to put this list together and the origin of it? And um, Representative Provenzano, if we can hear from you first. Sure, sure. Well. Um, we, in our education policy group in the House of Representatives, we uh, had been discussing, you know, okay, August is coming, August is coming, what is it that we need? And then Representative Waldron decided to post to the Oklahoma Advocates uh, boards on social media, you know, what are your chief concerns mm-hmm. to teachers? And then we we're also hearing from a lot of parents. And we just begin uh, culminating the responses and kind of crunching them into what are the, the biggest concerns that the teachers have, the parents have, and and, and weighing that against, you know, the, the state. And uh, came up with some good responses. Uh, Representative Waldron had a post that was uh, quite popular that lots, lots it revealed that lots of uh, teachers are very worried mm-hmm. about, um, you know, gosh, they miss their kids, they miss their classrooms, but how do we keep ourselves safe? How do we keep our kids safe? We got about 450 comments. Wow. Uh, and from those, we gleaned 39 questions mm. uh, that were continuously coming. And then Representative Provenzano suggested we compile that and send it off to the State Department of Education, to the PLACs, the uh, teacher organizations, mm-hmm. uh, that we pick the list widely and see what kind of answers we could get. Mm-hmm. So one of the first things is a guaranteed supply of PPE and necessary cleaning supplies for all staff and students. I mean, that is universally what we heard in our contacts with, mm-hmm. uh, with members. So, um, so tell us about, uh, tell us about that. How, how can we get that? Who's in charge? Who can make that happen? <laughs> well, CARES Act money has been distributed. Uh, for that. And districts have been asked to keep their receipts for expenses for reimbursement. But my impression in talking with teachers is that they expected that they would have to provide their own equipment as they've had to provide for so many things uh, in the past. Yep. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. We've and heard- I would say, you know, good luck, good luck um, finding a can of Clorox wipes at, right? at your neighborhood grocery store on yes. any day. So how are we going to do that in mass? Um, but it's important to note also that the governor is still holding on to uh, a lot of the CARES Act money that he's been directly given to spend on schools. Um, he's only spent about $9 million of that. And so I think we need to start leaning into how are we going to use the rest of those dollars. And clearly those are things funds that we need to tap. And we've heard from um, from folks across the state that their district has ordered 
cleaning supplies and PPE, but their orders keep getting bumped because we have Mm -hmm. had such a rise in number of cases that all of that gets directed to hospitals first. So local districts are competing against one another when, Mm -hmm. um, don't we have uh, an agency within the state government like OMES that can do bulk buys and, and provide some things with the CARES Act money? Well, gosh, that would make that would make perfect sense, would it? And we need, you know, that that warehouse that we keep seeing on TV when we have the state leaders, you know, giving press conferences that are full of PPE. Um, we need to put that that equipment to use because that's uh, that's exactly the path that it should be following. And uh, I, I'm growing concerned that uh, that won't be the case. Yeah, I agree. I we spoke to our leaders from one of the state associations about originally just talking about online education. There, um, the phrase that kept coming up was all over the map, that every district oh. is going to run its own response and that you're going to see this wide variation. But as we've seen from the onset of this crisis, we need some kind of central coordination for the basic tasks of things like purchasing protective equipment. Yes. Uh, so without someone uh, in charge leading all of that, how are we going to guarantee that there's consistency? There's still time to do all these. We're, you know, three weeks will start school in some districts, and many teachers don't know the answers to these questions. Mm-hmm. There may be answers, but uh, it's a recipe for chaos. Uh, and all over the map response, if we, if teachers don't know that they're going to be protected and that the gear they need is going to be provided on the first day of school. Mm-hmm. So another thing that you had on your list was uh, classrooms and school buildings meeting the new COVID-19 CDC air ventilation standards. And I mean, if you have worked in a school in Oklahoma, you know that our buildings are in desperate need. Um, can you guys talk about yep. this uh, particularly? Because I think that this is such an interesting point. Um, and Representative Waldron, we could hear from you first this time. Um yeah, this is the one that people keep talking about and not talking about. I've heard from journalists and a lot of teachers about their concerns of the buildings that they're in. And what I'm worried about is that I'm not hearing state leadership talk about that. And maybe that's because there's no time and no investment in a dealing with the problem. So why point out the obvious that our classrooms aren't going to be properly ventilated on day one? Mm-hmm. Right, and I, I would tag into that. When you review the CDC guidelines on what proper ventilation looks like, it can be as simple as opening a window, but we've all taught in classes where yeah. the windows don't open. Joke's on them. Uh, all, <laughs> all of ours are painted exactly, shut. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But then in, in, in other situations, it can be as simple as replacing a filter with a a more uh, a stringent filter that can mm-hmm. filter out certain particulates. And and but then at the same time, we've all taught in buildings that are very old and have uh, HVAC systems that are falling apart. And so mm-hmm. that it's all over the map what the response should be. And individual school districts need to be looking at their their plans to you know, okay, how old is this building? How old is this system? When was the last time we had you know, gosh, a classroom flood? And right. is there the possibility of mold? And I think you can tag into those sorts of things as well. And do we even need to use this particular building? Can we reshuffle our schedule? Can we reshuffle the building, you know, to uh, make it as safe as possible? And so I think 
that that's the thought process. Right. Dwight David Eisenhower said, "Plans are worthless. A planning uh, um We need to know that there is a plan, and not just that we've but we're hoping for the best, knowing that we have for decades underinvested in our school buildings. Right, and that's where this the the whole concept of class size, you know, has come into play. Yeah, where you you have most when we put this release out, we had we were overwhelmed with yes, the class size, class size, class size, and and there are some districts starting to address that issue. But then the the filtration system, all of these supplies, it all plays into the larger overarching. Okay, as related to class size. And, uh, you know, and, and that's been a mantra, you know, among the teacher corps for forever is we need to reduce the class size. Well, now it's a life or death decision. Right. And, and that's the reality. So, well, it is life or death at this point. Yeah. Right. And these are consequences of decisions we've made or failed to over the years. Yes. Um, in the 21st century, we've cut budgets for education more than we've increased them. Uh, and... That, you know, there were there was a lot of deferred maintenance before that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this needs a moment of state and national recognition that we haven't done our part to protect education, and we need to be concentrating resources. Now, Representative Provenzano mentioned that we, that the governor's only spent about nine million dollars of exact money he's he's been given, and much of it came towards sort of worker training programs that were already on his agenda. They didn't like to new thinking about the crisis that we're facing. Right. Without, yeah. Without that kind of leadership at the top, we're going to be all over the map, and that's going to be the situation. And, and that is a problem. I mean, we have got to have some strict mandates um, across, across the board, uh, in, including masks. I mean, to keep kids safe. We, so we just talked about air quality. And inability to open right. windows and um, and not having the airflow, but we're going to stack 36, 40 kids in a in a room. Um, you know, it's it's a recipe for disaster, uh, not just for the kids, but for our educators and support uh, our teachers, support staff mm -hmm. and what have you. So that leads us to like number five on your list the creation of the sick leave policy that protects teachers and students. We get questions about right. this all the time. What are you hearing and, and what's your intent on that one? Right. Representative Aldrin, do you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> sure. It's a tough one. Yeah. I'll address the politics of it. Um, in the end, we're not making the key decision. The virus is. Mm. And mm. nationally, the president has said that he wants schools to reopen, you know, the science is on our side, but it isn't. If uh, kids and teachers begin to get sick, then people will stop showing up at the schools. And it won't matter what state and local leaders are doing because families are going to make their own decisions. Yeah. And we're going to, and the whole school system will grind to a halt. So we have to have a policy in place that protects teachers. We have teachers right now who are preparing their wills. Yep. And we have teachers who are retiring because they can, not because they want to, because they don't know whether the system is going to look out for them and protect them. And that's why we need to have guaranteed policies in place that protect the teachers, uh, the support staff, everybody who makes the school run, or they're simply going to make decisions on their own and will have lost control. 
Right. And I would just add to that that the Federal uh, Families First Coronavirus Response Act uh, does provide, but not for uh, for much longer, uh, some paid sick leave. And I confirmed with our State Department of Education that, that school district employees are indeed covered by that for up to two weeks. But but that doesn't even, I mean, that's like the tip of the iceberg, and that's like a, a, a sort of a guide on the side support. And, and you know, but what we really need is a plan for what happens when that first child gets sick or that first teacher gets sick. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, that sick leave act supports that individual teacher, but what happens to the rest of the building and the staff on hand? And so we need a coordinated plan on what happens, step one, step two, step three, step yes. four. And, and you know, the teacher next door to that teacher is going to worry and then, and so on and down the road. And we just need a plan to make teachers and parents feel better. So, and this means that the challenge our prevailing thinking. Uh, we've, we've dedicated our system to monitoring uh, things like chronic absenteeism. And that's going to go right out the window this year. Mm, but yeah. if we don't change our thinking, we're going to go with our reflex, which is kids have to have their butts in seats. Mm. Agreed. And one quarantine is chronic absenteeism. I mean, that fall, one quarantine right. falls into that category. Right. Um, right. I wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit about something that um, you, you brought up. Representative Waldron about um, about these decisions that the virus is making decisions for us, and there are things that we have to decide as our as individuals. Um, when you guys, th- I mean, obviously neither of you will be in the classroom this year because you're, you know, representatives. But if you were going back yeah. to the classroom this year, how would you be feeling about going back to school? Going back to I building. have a lot of apps. I would do it, and in fact, I intend to sign up as a as a substitute. The legislators have to be unpaid substitutes because I think that this is an enormous responsibility. Um, but the teacher, I'd have a lot of apprehensions. Um, we are going to ask an awful lot of this generation right now, and we have for 20 years not public policy has not been a friend of teachers. Uh, so to ask them to make enormous sacrifices. That's a heavy burden. Lots of our teachers are over the age of 50. A lot of them have uh, medical conditions already. Many of them are taking care of grandchildren or elderly parents. Think about the population that is our teachers. They're often family caregivers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I will make a lot of sacrifices because I believe in education. But there comes a point when your family comes first. Yeah. Agreed. And there, there's also the, the conversation that's begun here in Oklahoma. Our reliance on the emergency certified teacher cannot be overstated and, and more teachers because of, you know, just the specific politics and, and the, the, the legislative nature of how things have gone in Oklahoma with the teacher raises. Well, we have many teachers who are eligible for retirement mm-hmm. now that decided to wait the additional three years, you know, so they could, mm-hmm. So they could earn more out of retirement. Well, now they're eligible. And if we can't guarantee that they're safe, these, these teachers love and want to come back to kids. Mm-hmm. But if, if it's not um, solid enough, they may make the decision to go ahead and retire now. And, and so we need a plan. <laughs> so Representative Provenzano, when you think about your role previously as a building administrator, um, how do you uh-huh. think, how do you think our admins are, 
feeling right now. It fe- I mean, just as a as an outsider perspective, to me, it feels like all these decisions have been pushed down and abdicated from the national to the state to the district to the building level. Um, how right. how do you think admins are feeling right now, or how would you be feeling if you were still um, an administrator? I think very similar to a teacher. You know, the, the, the role of an administrator is to be the, the support to a teacher because the teacher is the number one most important thing in, in the education of a child. And so what do teachers need to get? And then feeling like your hands are tied simply because you can't provide, you know, a canister of Clorox wipes mm. to every single teacher in your building yeah. uh, would make me feel very helpless. You know, and, and I would worry about the number of substitutions that, you know, that we were going, the substitutes that they were, were going to need. And are those substitutes who are contracted, um, in different ways, depending on the district that you, you know, some come from temporary agencies, some go directly through the districts, mm-hmm. but, you know, are, have they been in the two weeks prior to coming into the classroom? Have they been being safe? Mm-hmm. And, oh, and, yeah. and they're going to be interacting with our kids. And how do I, and, and what's the master schedule going to look like? You know, what's going to happen if we need to on a moment's notice flip to, um, virtual? Well, yeah. all of those students have the devices in their hands as well as internet that, uh, they need so they can seamlessly transition. And the answer, at least, um, in, uh, if, if this past spring is any indicator is no. Yeah. And, uh, and because in uh, the urban areas, we know we, we handed out thousands and thousands and thousands of worksheet packets. Yeah. And that's a nice stopgap measure, but that's not a long term plan. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that kind of tags into one of our other bullets of if we're truly going to need to switch to virtual and do it quickly, we need to have devices and Internet accessibility in the hands of every child. And even then, that's not necessarily the best delivery method for all of our children. So it's quite complex. Yeah, that is amazing. Yes. All all of that is, um, we have barely touched on the equity issue. Uh, and it's right. an urban issue. It's a rural issue. There is no div- right. divide on on the equity issue. Um, and, I, right. and, and that is part of this conversation, and an entirely uh, another conversation as well. We could, we could have a podcast on the equity issue by itself. We are, um, so grateful that the two of you could come with us, uh, and talk with us on the podcast today. Uh, when we ask educators, um, what their opinions are and you are educators, then, uh, then we get great feedback and great, uh, solutions to questions. What are some actions that you think educators and parents who are concerned should be taking right now? John? Well, I, okay. Yeah. Um, I think every principal should have a conversation with every teacher. I asked for opinions about that and found, I sampled 180 teachers and they were split right from the middle. 90 of them had talked to their teachers, their principals, and 90 of them haven't. Huh. One principal mentioned that, you know, it would be great if every teacher answered the email. So teachers have to, uh, it's often, it's nice to spend the summer uh, in contemplation and, and not to be in touch with your administration, but it's time to have that conversation. And yeah. if we're going to be all over the map, then we'd better have initiative all over them. Uh, so every teacher has to have a plan for their classroom. Uh, the principals should be having those conversations with them. 
so that when the schools open and there's a problem on the local level, there's a solution on the local level. Right. And I couldn't agree more uh, with Representative Waldron. And that conversation needed to be had yesterday. You know, when we when we polled teachers, you know, how many of you have had any level of communication? Um, You know, the overwhelming number was, you know, not at all. But then since then, we have seen multiple districts start to roll out their plans. But teachers need the time to also provide feedback. Uh, you know, because they're they're the the masters in the classroom as to what their individual classroom and what their needs are going to be, and uh, you know, I I also know you know from an administrative standpoint that school districts are are worried as well. You know, I mean, most of them, you know, administrators are former teachers most mostly, and they're they're fretting as well, and so they need we have a plan. Here's the plan. Mm-hmm. Give feedback. And then, uh, and it needs to happen like yesterday, and and we need contingencies um, to that plan. If 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 a student gets sick or if a, a teacher gets sick, here's what we're going to do. And uh, just to provide, you know, people don't necessarily have to have all the answers, but they want to know that they're part of the process. Yeah. Um, when we into this, the new school year. There's going to be a difference between the schools where the teachers were afraid to speak out. And there were a number of teachers who told me they were afraid to talk about mm. their school plan. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and the places where the teachers are committed and they know what they're getting into, those schools will improvise, adapt, and overcome. And the schools mm-hmm. that are not are going to are going to have serious problems. Well, thank you so much to both of you. Um, we know that you're both very busy and um, are hearing lots from all different constituents. So we appreciate you taking the time to visit with us today. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for reaching out. OEA hosted a press conference Thursday morning about coming back to school safely, and we wanted to share some of the speeches given by our community partners and other organizations who also agree that student safety should come first. So here are those comments. Thank you so much. I'm Alicia Priest, president of the Oklahoma Education Association, a 26-year educator from Yukon, Oklahoma. Oklahoma educators are eager to get back to the classroom and see their students' smiling faces looking back at them in person. We got into this profession to build relationships with our kids and colleagues and to help make our communities better. The love we receive in our buildings every day is the most rewarding feeling for an educator. This is why it pains us to admit that there is still so much to be done before we can return back to our schools safely. We cannot support school starting when it's dangerous. We shut down schools March 25th. That day, our state had 164 new positive cases. Wednesday, we set a new record with 1,075. And Kevin Stitt became the first governor in the the country to test positive. We knew the pandemic was dangerous then, and we know the pandemic is dangerous now. We took extraordinary measures in extraordinary times to move schools to distance learning. Teachers, students, parents, and caregivers all adapted to a learning environment completely different than anything they had ever prepared for, and yet they made it work. Today, the infection and death rates are even higher. We are being told to proceed as normal, 
This is not normal. Hard decisions were made in March, and we believe those decisions saved lives. It's time to make hard decisions again. If Oklahomans want school to start, Oklahoma leaders need to make those hard decisions now. We cannot ignore this pandemic. We cannot turn a blind eye. Schools will not magically have extra resources like personal protective equipment, sanitizers, cleaning supplies, and substitute teachers. Sick leave policies will not rewrite themselves to reflect our new normal. What happens when a teacher tests positive? Will they be forced to use sick days? Who notifies parents? Who gets tested? Who ensures that they are tested? How long before the tests come back? Who pays for those tests? How does a classroom packed with 35 children try to socially distance? How can we protect our teachers, support professionals, and children who are at risk of severe complications from this terrifying disease? Our leadership has failed to take active measures and we are staring those consequences in the face. We shouldn't have to be in this situation. We shouldn't have to beg our leaders to care about the lives of our children and colleagues. But if they abdicate their responsibility, then we will not hesitate to defend the safety of our schools. Schools can't even afford full-time nurses, let alone epidemiologists. This is why we rely on state experts. To ensure a safe learning environment, the state must require masks for everyone inside school buildings unless medically inappropriate. The state must have PPE, soap, hand sanitizer, and all cleaning supplies readily available through their supply chain. The state must mandate protocols on when to shut down a school and when to shut down a district. The state must address the sheer number of students in one building, one bus, one cafeteria, at a time. The state must provide basic supplies like touchless thermometers. If we don't address these basic needs, we are not ready to go back to school. We are willing to teach and learn in safe environments. And just like this spring, we are ready to do what it takes to teach our kids. But safety must be our first priority. If it's not, kids will die. Educators will die. OEA provides our members the option to have a free will drawn up by our legal team. We are getting dozens of requests every day, and all of them have the same question. Can this be completed before I have to go back to work? We all miss our students so much, and we all wish school could go back to normal but there are some of our colleagues who literally are planning for their debts. This is unacceptable. It is inhumane to those who say only people who are vulnerable are at risk. Well, a large percentage of our students and staff members have underlying conditions. Do they not deserve to learn and work in an environment without being scared for their lives? Public education in Oklahoma is for every student, no matter their zip code, no matter their race, no matter their medical issues. This, there is no acceptable number of sickness or death. One is too many. Even avoiding death should not be considered a win. Children will be hospitalized, adults 
will be hospitalized. This is a novel virus. We don't know the long-term effects, especially on children who, who deal with set effects for the rest of their lives. We must protect our public schools as if they house our own children, because they do. We will come back. We'll be back in our classrooms. We'll laugh, we'll learn, we'll love together in person again, but only when it is safe, because we never stop standing up for the best interest of our students. And with that, I would like to introduce Dr. Dwight Sublett, president of the Oklahoma chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Dr. Sublett. Thank you, Alicia, and good morning to everybody. I uh, <clears throat> certainly appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to speak to you all this morning. A uh, little background, I've been in uh, Stillwater as a general pediatrician since 1983. And uh, during that time, we've experienced a lot of uh, things over the years, uh, various illnesses, bad flu years, uh, a lot of uh, diseases that we once dealt with are gone now because of immunization. So there's been a lot of changes over the year. But I can honestly say, and I think my medical colleagues will agree almost uniformly, this is unprecedented. This is unprecedented. Uh, with This came on. Um, quickly. Uh, when it came on, it was rather an abrupt change that we had to make on the fly. We were, we've been learning on the fly as far as what, how to treat this illness, how to isolate, uh, what works, what doesn't work. And obviously, everybody has seen the numbers of cases uh, worldwide, nationwide, the number of deaths. And this is an absolute disaster. Uh, in Oklahoma, the numbers mentioned, we have had our highest day yesterday, I think it's 1075. We're about uh, uh, almost 23,000 new, case, new uh, cases in the state and uh, over 400 deaths. Now, Oklahoma is not immune to disasters. We've dealt with all sorts of disasters. Each one, I think of tornadoes, I think of floods, I think of droughts. We, we have dealt with disaster. We're a tough group of people, and we have had disaster plans in the past. If there ever was a disaster, COVID is a disaster, and we need to address that, look at it straight in the face, and address it as... I have great admiration for the educators in, in our state. My wife is a edu retired educator. My mother taught school. I have had firsthand experience with what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. And even in a normal time, quote normal time, their challenges that they deal with on a day-by-day -day basis are monumental. Now we throw in a condition, a, a very contagious disease, uh, much that we don't know about. We know more than we did nine months ago when this first started, but we're still learning and we're talking about going back to school. Now, the Academy of Pediatrics nationally is advocating for a return to school, but the initial statement, I think, was taken out of context that we, was that, that we were pushing this almost at all costs. That is definitely not the case. What the Academy recommends is that we look at the science of this thing. Look at the data. 
We don't be subjective via object. How are we doing? What's the numbers? Look at it day by day. How are we increasing? And we're going to need to do that here in the state. And we're going to have to see where are our hot spots? Where, you know, who's doing well, who's not. And most of all, we need to develop more of a spirit of unity in, 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 in our population that we're all in this together. This is not a, just a simple flu or a cold. This is a big deal, guys. This is a big deal. And we must treat it as such. There are three, we, we know from uh, one thing that we have learned, particularly from our Euro European friends and uh, from the Japanese, from Australia and other places, what works? A good example is Italy. Italy had a very strong outbreak and they did basically the three things that everybody's been hearing about. First of all, first and foremost, wear a mask, wear a mask. People say, well, that's an inconvenience. It's, it, 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 you know, it affects our personal freedom. Well, sometimes you have to make some choices. You have to make a sacrifice for the common good. We know, actually an article came out this week in the Journal of Pediatrics and Child Health, this very week, where the World Health Organization looked at 172 different situations around the globe as far as where they practice wearing masks, social distancing, hand hygiene. And we know that when people wear masks and when everybody's in compliance, that decreases, even with the cloth mask, we're not talking about the NP95 type mask, that decreases the amount of transmission of disease by about 85%. If we do social distancing properly, that also has an effect of about 82% on decreasing the transmission of the virus. That's substantial. We can, we can reduce the number of cases, but we've got to be committed. We've got to all be on the same page on this thing. If we are not, if we are not on the same page, we are staring a disaster in the face. This is summertime. Summertime in pediatrics is, checkup time, sports physical, getting ready for school. We don't see a lot of viruses. We don't see a lot of illness. Now we get around October, November, then we start throwing the flus, the colds, the strep throats, the pneumonias, the bronchitis into the picture. And you couple that with COVID, that's a recipe for disaster, okay? And we've got to, we've got to look at it that way. So I, my plea, to uh, the state, to our population is, let's look at it that way. Let's look at it as if we're staring at a level five tornado right straight in the face and what are we gonna do and how are we gonna react to it? We've gotta be flexible. We've gotta be, um, we've gotta be informed, first of all, what's going on, how are we going with things? And we've gotta be flexible and be able to move. Uh, there's, there's going to be different situations in different parts of the states. There's going to be hot spots. There's going to be other areas that are not so uh, involved at any time, but that can change. That's what we've been seeing in our neighboring states, uh, particularly like Texas. South Texas was involved. Now it seems to be spreading northward. So it, it can change, and we have to watch all of that. So I think as a physician, I'm going to make the plea that we all work together you know, uh, take the take uh, the inconvenience. It, it's it's okay. It's we've been for a while, and if we can get through this and succeed, 
then our personal freedoms will expand again. We can go to the movies, we can go to the restaurants and not feel like we might get sick, you know. We can take a trip on an airplane, things like that. That's what we got to work toward here. And the other issue too, and then we're seeing this uh, like in Florida and Texas right now, if we do not do these things, we, the medical system, we're, we're doing pretty good right now. But if we don't do these things, the medical system will get overwhelmed. I can guarantee it's gonna happen, okay? And we've got to, we've got to keep that in mind too. So I hope that information is helpful. Uh, and I think the thing that the uh, Oklahoma Academy of Pediatrics is, you know, emphasizing is we need to follow those three basic guidelines and we need to follow them strictly. And we need to be supportive of our schools. We need to be right there with them. We need to be hearing what's going on, what the challenges are, and we've got to be able to make changes quickly as those changes, you know, because it, it's going to happen. Well, it's not going to all just go just smooth. Uh, so we have to all be together and working together with this. And I hope that information is helpful to you. Thank you. Um, I'm Jamie Cole. I am with Oklahoma Advocates, which is a Facebook group of over 65,000 members. I teach fifth grade math. My husband teaches art and media at the high school. I would like to start out by saying I love my students. I've taught for over 20 years. I think we can all agree that everyone, students, teachers, parents, support staff, and administration, we all want schools to start and return to normal as soon as possible. To do that, we have to be doing our part now, and that means wearing a mask when you leave your home. While the discussion is not about partisan politics or denying individual freedoms, it's quite simply about the health and safety of our children and the education professionals who work with them every day. In my situation, I have RA, my husband has leukemia. My district is very supportive and have encouraged us to use whatever PPE we feel comfortable with. However, that's not the case for everyone and many educators have expressed concerns. They have health issues or a loved one does. We are in a pandemic with cases rising, not falling. The curve is not flattening. We actually lost our first precious school-aged child last week to the virus, which struck in the hearts of every educators. As a teacher, I'm calling on you to wear your mask in public. If you want us to feel safe going back to school in August, in a study done by time, 20% of educators have said that they will take an early retirement or leave the profession if they don't feel safe returning. We are all in a teacher shortage as is. Please wear your mask so that we can get back to doing what we all love, and that's teaching. Thank you. Hi, my name is Morgan McClellan. I'm a rising senior at Rapton High School. So I'm going to give a student's perspective on reopening schools and some realistic precautions we could take when doing so. There are a lot of risks when reopening schools, but I think if we do take those necessary precautions, I think that by doing so, it would benefit a lot of people. I do know that the best possible thing you could do if you are returning to school is staying within six feet, a safe distance from other people. But personally, my school's main hallway is only a few feet wider than that, making it near impossible to stay within a safe distance of other people. However, some more realistic precautions you could take is enforcing the washing of hands, making sure people are wearing a mask, 
um, generally staying away from other people and talking to students about not touching their eyes, nose, or mouth with unwashed hands. I know from experience that a lot of students do better when they are able to ask their teachers face-to-face -face questions and are in an environment where they are not only getting their work done, but are with someone who can help them understand that work. I, I like the routine that school gives me. During these past few months when I had to do schoolwork online, I often found myself procrastinating and not feeling as if I truly comprehended anything I was being taught. Online education is a foreign concept to a lot of the students who have been in the school system for most of our lives. For some people, school is an escape from their home lives. It provides a sense of security for them and to have that taken away so suddenly without knowing if it's going to return soon or not is hard to say the least. Not only that, but being able to talk to someone outside your home and getting to have some sense of normalcy during this time that school provides is essential, in my opinion, to students' personal development. Providing an online program through each school system would be a great option for those who don't feel safe going back to school physically or who are immunocompromised or who live with someone who is immunocompromised. I'd also like to say that what I've heard from school, blended learning, which is an option for students who would like to do both online and in-person schooling, is a great alternative to either The coronavirus is not a thing of the past. It is something that's still very present and needs to be taken into high consideration with making decisions basically whenever to reopen schools or not. Nevertheless, in my opinion, reopening schools is a risk that's worth taking as long as we make those necessary precautions, keeping ourselves and everyone else safe. Thank you. Good morning. I'm Mary Best, president of AFT Oklahoma, and one of the districts we represent is Oklahoma City Public Schools, the state's largest district. COVID has forced all of us to adapt to a new way of life. We are now approaching the start of school and the virus is out of control. As educators, we do not believe we will be able to return to school as usual. Schools may need to delay opening, use a modified schedule, or return to online learning. Upon returning to school, safety requirements must be in place and we must all adapt to a new normal. Teachers and staff are anxious and are not only worried about their health and safety, but the health and safety of their own children and loved ones. 38.5% of Oklahoma City public school teachers have expressed concerns about their own personal health. We believe students and staff should be required to wear masks. When we return to school in Oklahoma City, teachers and staff and secondary students will be wearing masks and elementary students will be expected to wear masks. Wearing masks needs to be a statewide requirement. For mask wearing to be effective, everyone must wear a mask. It is a safety issue, not a political issue. PPE equipment and safety measures should be provided at all school sites and safety measures will need to be enforced to make sure everyone is protected. Temperature monitoring, hand sanitizer, soap, paper towels, and hot water must be available to all persons 
with deep building cleaning each night. On July 8th, Oklahoma City AFT conducted a school survey for teachers. 89.4% of teachers believe staff and visitors should wear masks. We also ask if the district should require masks for students and an overwhelmingly 81.4% of, of teachers responded yes. The district and school board listened to their teachers and staff and OKCPS will require masks. We want other districts to follow suit. Teachers are extremely anxious and somewhat uncomfortable about returning to school, but teachers want schools to reopen, but they want schools to reopen safely. Teachers are concerned about students learning. They are concerned about students falling behind, but most importantly, they are concerned about their health and safety. To open our schools safely, we will need additional resources. Most of our schools are already at the top of their budget. Funds will be needed, need to be provided to protect our students and teachers, our bus drivers, our cafeteria workers, and all school personnel. If we want to return to normal, we must all be willing to do our part and work together. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Now let's hear from Reverend Clark Fraley of Pastors for Oklahoma Kids. Pastor Clark. Hey, thanks. Uh, well, I'm not a doctor and I don't pretend to be, so I won't offer any uh, advice or evidence there. I'm a pastor of 20 years, 11 years here in the Oklahoma City Metro, a native Oklahoman and co-founder of Pastors for Oklahoma Kids. And our primary concern is to advocate for the 703,000 kiddos that are in public schools. Um, as a pastor uh, and our group, our network of pastors of about 125, uh, we listen to our community. We know the heartbeats of our community. We have pastors in urban and rural and suburban context all across the state. And we did a survey and 100% of our pastors are very concerned about the health and safety of our students as they return to school. And, and so, at the end of the day, for us, health and safety are our paramount values for our kiddos. COVID-19 has killed 432 Oklahomans. Um, that's 432 too many, in our opinion. And um, so we want to do everything possible in order to protect those who have not yet been infected. And when I have conversations with teachers and administrators and support staff, uh, the consistent thing I hear is they love their kids. They want to go back to school, but they're afraid that they're not going to have the resources. Like we have shortchanged our public schools time after time with inappropriate resources, textbooks that are falling apart, vehicles that can barely run down the road. How is this going to be any different? And I don't know what to tell them. I don't know an answer to give them. We, we can make up lost ground academically. We can make up a prom or a basketball game, but we can't bring back dead people. And I just don't understand how we can approach this any differently by taking the utmost concern for the staff and for the kiddos that are going to go back into these schools. Jesus taught us to love our neighbor as ourself. In fact, he said it's one of the two greatest commandments that we can do. We have to do better for our kiddos. We have to do better for our staff, uh, our administrators, our educators, and these are our neighbors. So two big suggestions. First of all, I think we have to insist on a safe reopening. 
There is no timeline for this. There's no arbitrary date. No federal authority can tell us this. We can't afford to have magical thinking. One of our pastors penned an article today, this morning, he sent it to me really early. And I, I think he sums it up perfectly. He said, are we treating our kids as canaries in the coal mines? We can't just send our kids back into an environment that we have not fully vetted and fully made safe as possible. So I think we have to empower local decisions. We have to not um, let this decision be, be geared towards economy, but let the local decisions based on the safety and health be paramount. Um, we're not in a time of downward community spread. We can all look at those. I mean, I'm a pastor, but I can look at a chart and see that it's just rising. So um, we have to, you know, insist that we have medical grade PPE for our staff, that kiddos have uh, the appropriate things to cover their faces with to not get this. We have to have cleaning supplies. Uh, there's a lot of questions, I think, for funding and for getting those supplies. And our churches are, are rallying. I've heard of our churches. We've asked for ideas and we have churches that are rallying, gathering gear, but uh, we can't do that alone. So we definitely need support in that way. And then the second thing is for us to provide instructional flexibility that's already been mentioned. Uh, just, you know, timelines and schedules, whether it's virtual or blended or less than five days a week, we've got to get over this arbitrary day of the week thing. This is a pandemic. This is serious. And we need to have flexibility for our local school boards and decision makers and superintendents so that they can make those decisions and not be penalized in any way financially or, uh, or, or with any sort of regulations on them for that. We, I mean, it's just common sense. There's no way we can jam 28 pre-K kids in one room meant for 18 and expect good outcomes. That's just insanity. And so we have to have some reality. We have to have some gut checks and we have to just stop putting it off and start getting on board right now. Ultimately, pastors are going to look towards protecting human life, the lives of the children and the lives of our educators in our local schools. And that is, that is our, I would say, our paramount message is that human life must be valued in this. Thank you. All right, welcome to Alicia's Morning Announcements. You just heard us talk about our Back to School Safely uh, press conference. It We had a fantastic array of partners on that. Yes. And, um, and we're on the side of right. We have to think of the health and safety of our kids and our school employees yes. first. You know, I always say it's never wrong to stand up for kids. Ab absolutely not. That's who we are. Yeah. That's why we became teachers. Yep. Um, it's all about the kids. In addition, this uh, coming up from July 15th through October 2nd is our OEA officer filing period. That is when anyone who wants to run for OEA office of president, vice president, or NEA director can file. Uh, you find the forms on the OEA website, okea.org. There is a blog just right on that homepage that you can click onto. Or you can go to the actual link, which is okea.org slash OEA elections 2021. So, um, so those positions are open and, um, you can, you can check those out. And Alicia will not be filing. I will not be filing. I have, uh, termed out. We do have term limits in the OEA mm -hmm. and the gray hairs that I have grown. <laughs> Over the last... It's been eventful. It's it, been an eventful it, time. It has been an eventful time. And I believe 
truly that we're all in the right place at the right time. Yep. And so if you think that this is the right time for you, then uh, go ahead and file for those offices. Do it. All right. And we have had an amazing week of learning with summer leadership this mm-hmm. week. Uh, we've had breakout sessions every day, five, six, seven of them a day. Yeah. We've had our, um, our special interest caucus meetings throughout Mm -hmm. the week as well. And those have gone gangbusters. Um, I started, uh, with my book study on why are all the, uh, black children sitting together in the cafeteria. Uh And, um, we have 130 people registered for that. That's awesome. So I want to be in that book. We, yeah, we had, can I join that book club? You can. Okay. It's not too late. I'm in. Okay. Uh, 131 people in the book club. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, um, you know, we, we had great community building and, um, scheduled our next times and it's not too late. We have some sessions going on today, but if you didn't catch it, our amazing communications team is downloading all of the recordings that we've made throughout the week, um, from those breakout sessions and we'll be putting them up on, uh, probably our website, but Yep. But watch the the Education Edge and other publications that we put out for mm-hmm. more information on it. Um, so those will be out around mid-August. You know, it's interesting how, I mean, obviously COVID has changed the way we do everything in our lives. Um, but it has, I mean, this year, by forcing our summer conferences to go online, it's been open to so many more people. I mean, like, what a great opportunity, even if things aren't the way we want them to be. Um, there can be some silver linings there. Absolutely. You know, we, we usually have about 200 people come to summer leadership Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's an expense to the, to the individual or the local that's sending them. Right. And this was anyone can join. There are no barriers other than you have to be able to have the time to, to Mm -hmm. do it in the technology, of course. But then being able to reach even more by posting it, posting that learning online for everybody later, that's fantastic. Love it. Well, thank you for joining us today on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Copernell Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you would like to contact us, you just reach out to friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.